Amen. Amen. Um, that is that is beautiful. Uh, I think just those those words, right? Come, let us adore Him. And when you think of that, adoring the Lord, adoration, it, it stems from love, and we know that Christ is love, right? How can how can we adore him if we have not allowed him to permeate our hearts and, you know, all the love that we have for, um, you know, our family and friends, especially in this this festive time, you know, uh, but it all stems from Christ and uh, centers around him. He is the essence of love. And uh, it's a beautiful thing that uh, we have this season uh, where the broader world recognizes Christ uh, for who he is, whether they just see him as a baby in a manger or recognize him as the baby that came as the God-man to live a life of sacrifice, the perfect sinless sacrifice for our redemption. But, uh, you know, that, that clear message still is able to be expressed in this time uh, for us as followers of Christ. This is just an extra joyous time because we celebrate this every day, right? Every day should be a, a joyous time of, of, of this, this cheerful giving and, and whatnot. This is, uh, should be in the heart of every believer as the Holy Spirit leads. So uh, just an exciting time. I, I know that it's, it's uh, different because of our circumstances this year, but nonetheless, uh, we need to draw our hope and our encouragement from the Lord and uh, not allow the circumstances around our particular situations living in 2020 <laughs> to to damper what this season means and, and what the heart of Christ is for his creation. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, continuing this week, and we're going to co- cover about five verses this morning. We'll be in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. So uh, if you have a moment, go ahead and get your Bible. If you don't already, go ahead and open up, and uh, I'll give you a moment to get to, to Acts chapter 20. I'll go ahead and uh, uh, read the text and then uh, pray, and then we'll get into uh, the heart of our message this morning. Once again, we're in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 down through 12. All right. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, He conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. Verse 12, And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, again, thank you for just your presence in our lives. The fact that we truly can rest in you, that we don't have to do life alone, that we don't have to take upon the burdens of this world upon us, but we can take upon your yoke and allow you to carry uh, the loads that we can't handle or the things that we are all dealing with this week, the, the struggles and concerns that we've had going through this week. May you refresh our hearts and our spirits. May we 
take our baggage that we have and, and lay it at your feet. Uh, not that you are just a mere servant of us, but you're the only one who could bear that baggage, Lord, that we towed around with us, Lord. May you speak to us through your word. May you show us clearly how Christ is permeating through this text and how uh, we are to learn from this example given to us of uh, miracles given from your hands and patience that we need to receive from the Holy Spirit. So, Father, uh, we thank you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. So last week, uh, we learned that no matter where you and I are, wherever the Lord has us, uh, he has us there to share the message of the gospel and to edify and to grow and uplift the saints. That is that is our uh, one of our main purposes. Actually, it's all in ti- it's all embedded in one, right? Because in honoring and worshiping and glorifying the Lord, these are tangible ways that we actually do that, right? Because again, it's not sitting in. Uh, there are times of being, of solitude where you sit, you know, before the Lord privately. Uh, please don't get me wrong in that. We definitely need times like that. But our life should not just merely consist, or I want to say merely because that's a bad choice of words, but um, it's not just sitting alone with God. There's also time of action. There's time where the rubber meets the road, as J. Vernon McGee would say, where we need to actually live out our faith. And this is also how we honor and glorify the Lord through uh, evangelizing and edifying the saints. So we learned about that last week. We also learned that uh, believers come from every different background, right? Every different culture, race, uh, you know, uh, social economic group, right? Uh, we all have that same need of, of saving grace found in Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter how poor you have. Uh, the, the equalizer is the cross, and that's where we find um, our salvation is in Christ. That's the common thread that we have. So it's beautiful, again, that... Um, we don't celebrate diversity in the sense of just doing it like the world does it right now, right? You're seeing everybody's included, include everybody, but include everybody for what? Just to include everybody, just to include everybody? No, include everybody because we all need the saving grace of Christ. And then we can really, um, you know, love one another despite our differences and see that, you know, there's a commonality and a common thread of human beings that, uh, you know, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't save, but only the precious blood of Christ saves a precious soul. And so we learned about that last week as well. Today, uh, we're, we're going to look at probably uh, one of the most longest sermons ever recorded uh, in Scripture, right? And and how one young man almost didn't make it through this extended uh, sermon that was given. Uh, I think after today's message, we'll we'll probably have a better appreciation for our limited time together. Uh, together, excuse me, in the services that we hold. Um, all right, there's several main points that I'd like us to focus on this morning, and the first one is this. I think after today, we're going to have a better understanding of why we actually meet on Sundays and why we practice the Lord's Supper and why we practice the Lord's Supper on this day, right? Obviously, um, it's a little bit different right now because we're all in, in our various homes on, on and we're on Zoom, but you can still practice the Lord's Supper uh, with your own family, right? The head of your household, whoever that is, can lead you in that uh, as as the priest of, of, of your home. And again, 
you know, we don't have to be wrapped up in, oh, is it the cracker this size? Is it the one that, you know, the Jew, the Jewish people use? I mean, you know, you can use water and whatever you got. I mean, it's not a big deal. But either way, we're going to learn about that and why we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week. Uh, there is a reason to why we gather on this day, right? And why communion, otherwise known as the Lord's Supper, is a part of that, a big part of that meeting. It's not just arbitrary, right? We, did, we, don't just, we didn't just pull this out of thin air and say, oh, it's cool to meet on the first day, so we're going to do it. No, there are actually legitimate biblical reasons of why we meet on Sunday and why communion or the Lord's Supper is offered to those who are believers in the congregation on that day. So that's the first main point we're going to look at this morning. Uh, the next one is this, simply our need as human beings not to be in a rush. And that's such a difficult thing to do, right? Because our natural, our humanistic, if you if if you will, uh, inclination is to be in a rush, is to get things done, is to be just kind of on that go type of way. That's just kind of built into us as human beings. You look at our time and age that we're living in right now with all the advancements in technology, right? Um, technology is great, right? I enjoy it a great deal, but it's also come at a great cost. Um, the way we yield technology could either be for our betterment or for our detriment. Right now we're using it for our betterment, right? We, we're not meeting because of the whole whatever uh, lockdown where you can't meet in a building legally. Um, we would have met outside this week, but you know, it's, it's raining and, and it didn't want to cause people to get sick or to just be in a place where it's like, you know, stuck in your car watching this. It just, that doesn't make sense. So we're using technology in a good way here, but there's also, um, you know, things that aren't so great about technology that have hindered us as human beings uh, while we enjoy again like I said the benefits of instant access to a vast amount of information right the World Wide Web I mean you can literally go on Google and type in whatever and you're gonna get hundreds of thousands of, of search engines that are gonna bring up all kind of information about that so that's that's a that's a that's a good thing right to use at your disposal but there's also a very dark and a downside to all that one of the dark sides and one of the downsides to technology and the easy access to technology is um, you know patience you know our our patience has become very limited and very dwindled with every new gadget that comes out that does things for us i mean right they got little machines or little uh, little robots little circle robots where you don't want to sweep anymore you can just say uh hey you know um sweep the i was watching the commercial yesterday sweep under the table it's like are you serious you just give a command to a to a little little round robot and they just go and sweep everything up so you have no use for your broom and your and uh and your and your dish tray anymore or your broom tray cuz you know they can do it for you um there's so many things right that we have um available to to us where it honestly makes us a little bit more lazy because we don't have to do any thinking for us, right? AI is such a big thing right now, artificial intelligence and the fact that um, there's a lot of artificial intelligence that does a lot for, for us. Now, granted, again, there's there's a place for it, but it's... Um, it's a very thin line between what is good and what is not good for us as human beings. Um, the reality is we are simply impatient people again it's just built into the way we were created uh not that the way we were created but because of the fall uh impatience is a part of uh you know one of the sinful attributes of human beings um we can't wait we want it now right that mentality of i need it now i want it now i'm gonna have it now um waiting for two weeks for something nowadays honestly that's unheard of um especially this younger generation waiting for two weeks you're telling me i gotta wait two weeks for this thing uh when you can go on amazon and, and have things that you want purchased 
uh, you know, brought to you same day, if not the next day. Uh, it's created this whole culture of everything now, everything now. I got to have it now. If I got to wait, um, it's it's not good for me. And I get very impatient very quickly. But for the early church, they had to learn patience, you know, and they had to learn it well. Nothing came right away in their time, like in ours with certain things, with many things, as I should say. Um, you think about, you know, back from, you know, uh, the the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, right? 400 years, 400 years, the people had to wait for an, before another prophet came on the scene, before John the Baptist came on the scene, right? Remember, they had, um, you know, they had the, the, the judges and they had all of, uh, you know, many of uh, the leaders uh, were were corrupt. There were there were some that were good and were just, but for the most part, uh, you know, the kings and the judges they were they were corrupt, and they had to wait a very long time before the next prophet came on the scene. Um, when Jesus Christ appeared on the scene, well, they waited a long time for him, and when he did come upon the scene, and when he ascended, right. Um, they were eager for his return. They couldn't. He couldn't come back soon enough for uh, the disciples and for the many believers of that day. The reality is, whether it is in an instant or whether it's over a long duration of time, you and I can all stand to learn more patience, to benefit from patience, and to not be in such a rush. And we'll learn about that today with this long-winded sermon that Paul is going to give in our text this morning. The last main point is this. All miracles come from the mighty hand of God in his perfect timing, right? Our Lord is never late. Despite what we may feel or what we may see tangibly with our eyes, with our physical eyes, the Lord is never late. For the early church, it had to be traumatic for them to see Eutychus, this young man, fall from three stories, which most likely many thought was to his death that that had to be a traumatic thing if you were to i mean again um you know you think of uh you know people that work in first response the fire the fire department they 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 deal with this all the time with people that you know are in dangerous situations and they fall from you know stories above high uh, of off the ground and and, it, and it, it's a traumatic thing to to witness someone fall like that um for sure Many of these believers that were still inside the the house or the home would have thought that um, Eutychus either died or he was severely injured. But just in the nick of time, God works through his servant Paul to revive this young man and the church was greatly encouraged. Uh, The reality is, right, because this is the way we are as human beings, we would prefer that nothing bad ever happened, right? I, I, I don't Nobody inherently likes when bad things happen, right? It's like, that's why we have the word sucks. Like it sucks when bad things happen. When difficult things occur, it's, it's, not, it's not a happy time. We don't rejoice in the difficulties that life brings to us. Um, but if we were to have things the way we wanted and things never were difficult and things hard times never came into our lives, how would the Lord even encourage us to allow our faith in him to grow? If he did not walk with us through the difficult times of life, sometimes Jesus Christ comes through at 11.59 p.m. at literally the last possible moment, the last possible second, but he comes through. 
And him coming through at that specific time is part of his perfect timing. And so for us today, we need to learn to, again, this ties into having patience and waiting on the Lord that, you know, things may not be answered in the timing that we think or that we want. It may not be answered in the fashion that we want, but either way, the Lord is going to come through with exactly what we need at exactly the right time. And we, as believers in Christ, have to learn to trust him despite our anxiousness or, you know, that thing eating at us to that's telling us we need it now, we need it now. All right, well, let's go ahead and begin to look at these few verses that we have because there's a lot to unpack. Even though it's five verses, there's a lot of rich truth. Uh, you know, the scripture is worth its weight in gold here. So let's go ahead and look at that. Okay, so we'll start with verse seven. And it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So the first quick thing to point out, obviously it says on the first day of the week, it says when we were gathered together. So we know that the author of this book is Luke. So this tells us clearly that Luke is still with uh, Paul and the other uh, believers because we see we in the statement. He was with them. Dr. Luke was with Paul and the, uh, and the group of believers as they were on this first day of the week. As we, be, as we will begin again to uncover the church meeting and why does the church meet on Sundays, the first day of the week? Well, when you look at it, it dates back to biblical times. We see it here. We see, again, the text says on the first day of the week, but it's also revealed in other places in Scripture. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, this verse tells us on the first day of the week, each believer would set aside something, right? And, and store it up. This something that they set aside was what they could give as an offering, right? So that they may prosper, an offering to the Lord. You think about when we come to a church service, right? Many times believers come and the first thing on our minds is, oh, I'm going to hear a great word. Oh, I need an encouraging word. Oh, I need, to, I need the Lord to answer my prayers, right? Um, that's good, but we got to have it in its proper order Right, Because the reality is we come to a church service corporately, not first to hear from the Lord, but we come actually coming with an offer of sacrifice, right? Um, some uh, may, ha may be led and they give a financial sacrifice, right? Uh, but we know that it's not based on material things because the widow's might was more than all the rich people gave, uh, you know, in back then in, in the text in the Bible. So uh, it's really about an, an, a sacrificial heart and you're coming with the offering of praise and worship. That's the first thing, right? So again, you know, we need to come into a church service with the right construct, with the right mind frame of why we're even there. It's not necessarily for you and I to get something. That's kind of that's part of it. That's that's wrapped up. That's the gift wrapped up in Christ. But we come praising and giving, you know, a heart of sacrifice of worship to him for what he's done. Right. And when we have the proper understanding of what Christ did, what Christ has done for us. And as we've meditated on that throughout the week and remembered what Christ has done for us throughout our lively experiences every day during during the week, when we come on Sunday mornings, we come with the heart of thanksgiving because we recognize Man, Lord, I'm so enamored by your love for me. I'm a wretched sinner. I deserve your wrath. I deserve hell. I deserve death. But yet you've given me life. You've given me life abundantly. You've cleansed my sin by the perfect blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Right? When we understand these things, when, when that really hits home in our hearts, you and I come 
with an offering of thanksgiving, as it should be, as it biblically should be. So we see this here in our text this morning. This supports the idea of the church meeting as a larger group once a week, as a corporate group, right? This is them coming together on the first day of the week. The text says that they came together to break bread. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they came to have a meal together every Sunday, even though they very well may have, and they actually did, as this was a common practice back then, right? They would have service, they would break bread, they would eat, right? Um, But what it sure does mean is that they celebrated the Lord's Supper on Sunday. Well, what is the Lord's Supper, and what does this mean? How is this relevant to your life and my life as believers in Christ? Well, you have to go back to... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. This is where Jesus describes what we should be doing concerning the Lord's Supper and why it's extremely important that we keep this practice active within the body of believers. And because it is so important, I'm going to read this portion of text just to remind us and help us to remember the point and the purpose of the Lord's Supper, otherwise known as communion. So I'll go ahead and read it here. If you'd like to get there, uh, you're fine to do so. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 down through 32. And it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood, excuse me, the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. There's a whole lot to take in there. I mean, those are clear instructions. Those are clear orders from the Lord of what communion is, of what the Lord's Supper is, and and, and the magnitude and the intensity that is uh, wrapped up in taking a little cup of juice and a little piece of bread and, you know, saying a prayer and taking it. There's a lot in there, right? Um, This is very important for us as believers to understand, right? It's just, it's, it's paramount that we understand this. Sometimes when people don't know, 
you know, new believers and, and maybe the pastor or maybe other mature believers haven't explained this to young believers. They don't know and they'll see everyone else taking communion and they'll just go up and, and without having a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, go ahead and take it. Or maybe they're not even believers at all. Maybe they're just visiting the church and they just feel this overwhelming, you know, uh, like I, I got to do it because everyone else is doing it, right? That a lot of times that happens where people just follow because they see other people doing it, and that is not good. That is not correct. That is actually taking uh, the bread and the juice, as it would be the body and the the blood of Jesus Christ represented, and taking it in an unworthy manner. But for those of us who are believers, it's just as bad when you and I rush up to the communion table without first examining our hearts and allowing the Lord to do that that intrinsic inward uh, soul searching inside of us and allowing the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to expose any hidden sin or anything that you know we may have been struggling with throughout the week. Right? We all go through ups and downs. Right? It's it's not a it's not a wise thing to when communion's offered, the first thing is just run up and go to it. It's like we need to examine, allow the Lord to examine our hearts before we go up and partake of communion. This also is taking uh, the, the, the juice and the cracker in an unworthy manner. Now, some churches, for whatever reason, I have not figured it out. I do not know. But for, for some reason, some churches only practice the Lord's Supper once a month. Maybe they practice it once a month. Every first of the month or every last of the month, that's when they do uh, communion. Or maybe they only do communion several times a year. Maybe, you know, in this Christmas season, they'll do communion. But they don't do it any other time throughout the year. In 12 months, they only do it maybe three or four times. And again, like I said, I don't have the answer to that. I'm not sure uh, how these decisions were made within certain parts of the body uh, or why the Lord's Supper uh, isn't practiced more frequently. But, and I, I will say this, I'm not saying that practicing the Lord's Supper saves you, right? No, that that's totally false. That's I'm not trying to get that across. We know that the blood of Christ is the only thing that redeems us. But what I am saying is that the early church, if you look at the text, it says that they had communion. They practiced the Lord's Supper every time they met corporately. Once a week, when they met together as a group, they practiced the Lord's Supper. They practiced communion on the first day of the week. For us at Resilient Life Church, this is specifically the reason why we hold this same practice within this part of the body, because we find it instructed in the scriptures. Um, the reality is, if, if if you and I were just to start changing things randomly, arbitrarily within scripture, with no rhyme or reason, not led by the Holy Spirit in scripture, we're, what we're doing is we're essentially applying man's wisdom to godly practices, and we're dishing it out to people as legit. And I don't have peace with that. As when I have, was asked to take over being the pastor of this church and the Lord placed me in this position, that was one of, well, was one of the things that I prayed about for a long time. Well, okay, as the Lord brought to my heart, the book of Acts is what this church is supposed to go through for this duration of time. The Lord's Supper was a big thing because back then, and this is not a knock to, to Pastor Nick or anything like that, but I know that we, we only practice communion once a, once a month. And I always question that. Well, why do we only practice it once a month? And it's you don't want to get caught up in all the, the legal you know legalistic. I'm not saying that. What I find in the scripture, I don't know. You search. You're wise people. You're smart people. Be like the Bereans. Search the scriptures for yourself. 
But what does the scripture say to you? What the scripture says to me is when the church met every time once a week, they would offer uh, the Lord's Supper or communion to the believers for this specific reason. There's something real that happens when you partake in it. Again, the Lord says, examine yourselves before you partake in it. And if you examine yourself once a week at the very least, we should be examining ourselves once a day, multiple times a day. But okay, corporately, as a body of Christ, if we're examining ourselves once a week, I can guarantee you, you're going to remember what the Lord did for you and the blood that was shed for you and how precious his life is. And the fact that he could have given you and I wrath, what we deserve, but he's given us grace and mercy. So when you partake of that bread and you eat that representing his body that was broken for you and I, you're going to weep over that. It's going to be a tender thing. It's going to be a deep thing. It's not just going to be this flipping thing where you're just eating rich crackers, right? Like a pig. No, you're really partaking and taking the time to really critically think about what's been done for you. When you drink of that cup and you realize, man, dude, my blood is wretched. If I died for you, you wouldn't be saved. It would just be another dead person crucified because I, my blood has no power. But but the blood of Jesus Christ, so precious and pure, the spotless lamb, that his blood takes away the sins of the whole earth, the whole world, past, present, and future. Can you even wrap your mind around that? I can't. It's something deep to fathom. But when we take the time before we partake in communion and we think about that, when you take that cup, it's critical. It does something to you. It changes your countenance. It changes your demeanor. It changes the way you look at the Lord. And so this, these are the reasons why he's expressing and, 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 and telling us, take it in a worthy manner. It's also true because if we don't take it in a worthy manner, we're actually bringing judgment upon ourselves, right? That's, that's what's called trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ as if it was common. When you and I partake in communion without really critically thinking about, man, Lord, like, I know there's griminess in my heart. I need you to, to deal with me and to help me to get better and, 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 you know, and to be more forgiving and to be more controlling of my tongue or to be controlling of my temple or to, to be more outgoing and to include people more and to love people more. These are all the things that are going to go on when you're critically examining yourself before you partake in communion. And so I'm going on about this because it's been impressed upon my heart personally that this is an very this is a very important thing this is not something just to just to gloss over and think that it's you know well we know it we've heard it but when's the last time we critically allowed the lord to examine our hearts about it especially before partaking in communion so again something just for us to stew on and to take and consider because it's something that's very important to the lord that he uh, you know would apply uh, would it be allowed to be penned in scripture the way it was okay So what's the big deal about Sunday? Because clearly there are some who practice the Sabbath on a Saturday, right? You look at the Israelites, they look at the Sabbath as Saturday. Um, Seventh-day Adventists, the church that we rent from, uh, they're Seventh-day Adventists. Obviously, they practice they practice the Sabbath on Saturday. They're, they're not meeting today. We're meeting today because this is what we believe is uh, you know, the right day. Now, this is a topic that obviously is is debated and hotly debated in some circles and and for most it's up to interpretation right how people interpret the the bible and whatnot i don't feel led to get hung up on this because it's not necessarily about this we know that the sabbath is the first day of the week the one thing that is certain 
And you can recall this in the in the in the scriptures. When, remember when Jesus was in the grain fields, right? And the disciples were eating, and uh, the Pharisees they were like, "It's unlawful you for you to eat. It's the Sabbath, and you're taking the grains. What are you doing?" And then Jesus said, "Do you remember David and his homies when they went up in the temple? They were starving. They were on the run. Uh, you know, Saul was trying to kill uh, David, and they ate the bread, right? Uh, and Jesus basically was saying to them, you know that." The Sabbath wasn't <clears throat> the Sabbath wasn't made for man. <clears throat> the Sabbath, excuse me, was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. And so what that means is it's not about rituals, right? It's not about rituals. It's not about traditions or rules. The reality is if you and I really don't understand the significance of why the Sabbath is even sacred, it defeats the purpose of us setting it aside and practicing, oh, we're going to have this Sabbath day. We need to understand what's at the heart of it, really, to get the most out of it and, and how we can honor the Lord in it. Well, Sunday, it is important. This is why Sunday is important, because Sunday was the day of the week that Jesus came back from the dead, right? He went down on Friday, came back up on Sunday. Under the old creation, the seventh day was the important, the most important day. It was the Sabbath day. But that belongs to the old creation. We are part of the new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus' body was laid inside the tomb. But on the third day, which is Sunday, he rose from the grave to grace, conquering sin and death forever. We meet on Sundays symbolizing our new union with the living Christ. And that is the testimony of the first day of the week. That is why we practice coming together corporately on Sundays, the first day of the week. The application is this. We try our best to follow biblical examples and not man's traditions. We just don't do things just to do them. There's, we don't just follow anything just to follow it. We need to pray about it. We need to seek the, uh, the Lord through the scriptures and he'll give us clear direction of what we're supposed to do. We search the scriptures to find relevant truth to what we can follow and apply that to our lives. Well, next we see, it says that Paul was heading out on the next day. So he was heading out. He was going to leave this area. He was going to leave this region the next day. And so he had an extended message for the believers there. So long was this message that he had preached it all the way to midnight, all the way to midnight. So first off, we need to understand the context here. This is my personal opinion, what I believe the text is showing me, but I'm on the of the opinion that this context doesn't suggest that pastors and churches hold all-day services regularly. So, an example, you know, some churches, they have, you know, what's called, what's that? It's like that five, six-hour service where, you know, the the preacher preaches for upwards to two and a half hours to three hours. Um, the, the song and praise can, can, can last an hour each time. Um, you know, hey, again, there's not inherently anything wrong with that, but again, you need to seek the Lord in, in what you're supposed to do. Are you supposed to do that, or are you just doing it out of your own understanding? Um, some use this portion of Scripture as to why this is justifiable to have uh, you know, extended services or longer service times. 
the thing again to remember is the context. What is the context here in this portion of scripture? We have to see that Paul was leaving the next day and Paul probably didn't know when he was going to return to this region or if he would even return at all. So he wanted to greatly encourage the sheep. He wanted to greatly encourage the flock of believers here. And so this is the reason why Paul had an extended uh, message that he was giving to them to them encourage them and to help show them the ways of the Lord. Whereas many today who take the stance of preaching long where, you know, it's just this extended service, uh, those pastors, they're coming back next week, right? They're going to be in the pulpit next week. They're not moving away. They're not going away anywhere. So why for the whole long-winded prayer, uh, long-winded service beats me? I don't know. But you know what? I'm not playing devil's advocate, but I will say this. But on the other side, there's some congregations who lack focus and some people, they can't sit still for 20 minutes. You go 20 minutes and they're like, dude, the service is way too long. The pastor's preaching way too long. It's 20 minutes. I don't want to sit. I don't want to sit for a half hour. I don't want to sit for 45 minutes and listen to this dude talk, you know? So that's the other side of the coin right there. Some can't wait for the message to be over or they grumble and complain when the pastor goes over the normal time. But the reality is this, you wrap it all up, it doesn't matter what side of the coin you choose on this, the reality is what's normal, what's a normal time, right? Can we put the Holy Spirit in a box? Can we bound the Holy Spirit by our own understanding of time? I think not. The application is this, the thing to remember is that in both situations, pastors and the congregations seeking to be led are they led by the holy spirit that's the thing whether you go long whether you go short are you being led by the holy spirit to do either because that's the reality are you being led by the holy spirit or are you simply being led by your own desires your own understanding your own intuition of what you want to do and what you want to see happen right and that's the question that we have to ask because the reality is it's not about long and short Because the Holy Spirit can be in both situations. The Holy Spirit can also not be in in either of the situations. You look at the book of Revelation and you look at the church of Laodicea, right? And they were jumping around, praising the Lord, singing and dancing, saying hallelujah. The pastor's preaching this and that. But what does the text say? The text says that Jesus was knocking at the door, right? And Christ isn't even in it. So you could be having church service and the Holy Spirit not even be involved in anything you're doing. It's just fleshly. It's worldly. You're saying Christianese. You're saying Christian sayings. You're reading the scriptures, but the Lord is not even in it at all. So it's not about long or short. It is solely about are we seeking the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and provide opportunities and answers that we need. That is what we need to be focused on because we have to remember The God that we serve is a living God, and He lives and He exists outside of space and time. He's not bound by 24-hour cycles and a one-year calendar with 12 months in between. He's not bound by that. He's not bound by these three dimensions that me and you are bound by, right? We think something's really cool because the PS5's coming out, and it has so many capabilities and this and that and blah, 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 blah. I mean, you know... 
the Lord Jesus Christ got a PlayStation that you ain't even never seen before, right? It's just, I mean, it's, he that like I said again, he he far blows away any kind of technical advancement or anything that we think we're doing. Uh, you know, we think we're doing something big because we're going to send some things to Mars and you know whatever. We may be able to send people to Mars in the next whatever five six years to do what. <laughs> what, what what are we going to do on Mars? We really think we're going to be out there living like we're living down here? Again, man's wisdom, God's wisdom, two completely separate different things. Let me get back on track. But by the same token, again, if we're just operating in the flesh, it doesn't matter how long or how short the service is, the Lord isn't in it. And what we want more than anything is the Lord. We want the Holy Spirit to lead everything that we're involved in. Because if not, we're just doing it to do it. And this isn't even church. This is just a social club. And who who needs to be in another social club? We want the real living God to be in the in our midst. Amen? All right. Let's go ahead and move on to verse 8. And it says, <clears throat> There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. This is basically saying the place is lit. I mean, it was all lit up, but it wasn't a ballroom dance that they were attending, right? These people were up all night listening to the word of God and they were praising him. They were they were allowing the, the to be washed in the word of God and they were soaking up all that Paul was, was sharing with them through this extended message that was going on. Uh, you know, it's interesting because if you think about it, right, we can stay up for a whole lot of different things, right? We can stay up late for, you know, that movie that we really want to enjoy, the, the late night show, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, whatever. Uh, we can stay up late night for the news to check the 10, 10 o'clock news, 11 o'clock news, even though they say the same thing over and over, right? We can stay up late for ESPN, even though same thing, ESPN, Sports Center. I enjoy Scott Van Pelt, but it's the same show every day, every night, over and over again. It's nothing different. You watch it one time, it's just going to be the same thing two hours from now but we stay up late for certain things but it's a challenge for us many times to stay up for the things of the lord again i mean i can go to the drive-in or when i went to the drive-in you could you know i could sit and watch you know a a, a double feature that goes till 1 32 in the morning but then you know we having a hard time staying awake in 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 church service for for you know 45 minutes sometimes this is the thing. Sometimes we end up letting the world take the joy out of what we should be having joy in within the church, within the body of believers, within Christ. So the whole point is don't allow the world to steal your joy in Jesus Christ. All right, let's go ahead and move on to verse 9. It says, A young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Okay, <laughs> this is this is this is a trip. It seems like well here now we see the downside of a long-winded service or long-winded services. This young man named Eutychus, he was sitting at a window. He sank into a deep sleep and he fell from three stories. This is a wild account, right? That could easily have you and I scratching our heads like, why is this included in the Bible? <laughs> what what is this about? This is just a trip. But everything included in the Bible has a specific purpose. Now, we don't know the extent of why this young man was sitting near the window ledge in the first place. But if we take into account what the text says, we can kind of gather a good idea of why. Well, think about it. The, the, the house would have been packed, so there would have been a lot of people, right? And he probably wanted to get fresh air. And there also, uh, it says that the place was lit. There was candles all throughout the third, the third story in the room where they were at. So, you know, candles... 
a lot of candles burning at the same time are going to produce heat. You got so you got a lot of people in one room. You got a lot of candles burning producing heat. You got body heat from people. You got three stories up. We know that heat rises, right? So you got all those factors to take into account. Well, this man Eutychus uh he, he he probably wanted some fresh air. He was probably super hot. I mean, some of you know how it is. When you're in a crowded room, I mean, it's like you don't like being around a lot of people. You start getting claustrophobic. You start having panic attacks. You can't breathe because you're over here like, man, there's too many people in the room, right? That's like, you know, some people, uh, you know, junior high dances. They're so packed. It's like, man, it just, it's musty. Smelling a bunch of youngsters like that all sweating it up for an hour and a half. It's like, you got to get some fresh air and get out of there. So Eutychus must have been like, I, you know, I need to get some fresh air. I'm going to sit by this windowsill. I'm going to listen to Paul preach, but I can't be with y'all in that little cluster. It's just too much. It's too much going on. So that's kind of what's going on here. In any event, especially being three stories up, I wouldn't advise anybody to sit on a ledge of a window for that extended amount of time in the wee hours of the night because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, but again, we also need to take into account that this Sunday, this first day of the week, would have been a normal work day for Paul's listeners. So many of them worked, they're common people, so they would have worked a long, hard day. Then they met in the evening. It's not like they met right after work. They met in the evening, so time had gone by. They probably had food. They're going to have more food there. They met at nighttime, and it went for an extended period of time. So it's understandable why this young man was tired and he fell asleep. But it wasn't because he didn't want to listen to the message, because if you look at the text, it says that he was overcome with sleep. You're only overcome with sleep by means of you trying to fight sleep off, but it gets the best of you and you just conk out. You're just like, you're just, you're done, right? I mean, an example is, I mean, me with Veronica on the late night, you know, we, um, well, Friday nights now, they, the, you know, live rescue comes on, on a, what is that? I don't know, A&E or whatever. And we record it because, you know, there's many times. And now because it doesn't come on Saturdays and or Fridays and Saturdays, it comes on only Friday. So it's three hours. <laughs> it's three hours of watching paramedics and firefighters respond to, you know, acts and all kind of things that go on but you know by the by after the first hour I'm fighting the hardest to stay up right I remember when when you know earlier on in our marriage it's like I would have to drink coffee a lot at nighttime because I would get in fights with my wife my wife would be mad at me like dude you stay up for doing all this other stuff you don't even stay up for, for with me you don't even spend time with me and so you know I get it this is this is kind of what's going on here but he was overcome with sleep and so the man fell asleep he fell out of this this building and he fell down hard. The Lord knows we're weak, right? He knows that we're fragile. We're made of but dirt. But in this life, we weren't made to go on and on and on without sleep. That's kind of why some people get into some of those drugs that keep you up all night and keep you up for weeks at a time because they want to be up. They want to be, whether they're partying or, or doing something that they think is constructive, people take these things. You got the things like the five-hour energy. Why are you popping five-hour energy? Because you want to be up so you can do whatever. But it's like when you can't, you can't keep your eyes in your skull and you know, you're going back and forth, ain't nothing good about that. There's nothing natural about that, right? Again, the Lord knows our limitations, and this goes back to the Sabbath and having a Sabbath day of rest. It's not healthy if you're working seven days a week at a job. 
I don't care how much money you're bringing home, right? We could say, well, I'm bringing home the bacon and I'm the spiritual leader of my home, so I'm bringing... No, that's not about that. The Lord would rather you have a day that you take to be with your family and really honestly just honor Him in that than work seven days a week. That's not You're not supposed to do that. You're going to burn out. And so this is, again, why the Sabbath was instituted for us because He know that He knew that we would burn out without it. Okay, the application for us is this. I really believe that this helps pastors not to take themselves too seriously, right? Because you got to think about it. If a saint like Paul had people fall asleep during a message that he was giving, I think that you know any pastor shouldn't take it personal when they see people in the crowd that they think aren't paying attention as close as they think that they should. The reality is we don't even know who's listening and who isn't. The reality is this, just because someone's looking dead in your eyes doesn't mean that they're even listening to you or retaining the information that they can use to apply to their lives. It just means that they're looking at you. So again, don't take yourself so seriously. Our uh, responsibilities as pastors or preachers and teachers is to disseminate or to put out the word, to put out what the Lord has been showing us all week. That's it. I don't know the condition of any person's heart to say whether or not they're receiving the information or not. I need to be faithful in sharing the word and allowing the seeds to fall where they may. Because, again, it's the Lord who provides the increase, not me. And so but some, you know, but some people, some teachers and preachers and pastors, they they get upset when they don't see people you know, being attentive and doing this and that. But we know from stay, from case studies that people learn differently, right? Some people don't learn by looking dead in someone's eyes. Some, sometimes it may look like they're not paying attention, but they're learning a whole lot and they're the ones to apply it. And the person that's looking directly at you, it's over their head and they don't even apply it. And they come in and out every week and they're the same way. So again, you know, you can't, we can't, I can't judge things by what I see in the physical now, you can be a good fruit inspector, and there should be healthy fruit that you see in that, but we can't get caught up in, is this person listening or is this person not listening? Because someone who was used as greatly as Paul had this young man fall asleep and fall to his death from three stories. All right, um, let's see, where are we at? Okay, next we see that the fall Eutychus took, it was significant, right? This wasn't some little owie like my son Kalos falling off his his uh you know his bike outside on the porch no uh, this man fell from three stories up this the text said that he was taken up dead this would have been a disastrous way for the church gathering to end right paul was leaving the next day this would have been horrible for this man to fall from his death and that's how it ended but as we will see the lord always comes through right on time okay let's look at the last portion of our text this morning and it's found in in uh, verses 10 and 11 and it says but paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said do not be alarmed for his life is in him and when paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted excuse me Paul was obviously concerned with this young man's life, and so he went down to check upon him. When he went down there, he realized that this man was dead. The Lord wanted to use this specific situation as an encouraging lesson to the people of his almighty hand, granting Paul the authority and the power to be used to raise this young man up from the dead. Paul bent down, and he took 
the young man in his arms and he comforted him. He comforted him, but not only him, but the people as well, the rest of the congregation by saying, don't be alarmed, his life is in him. Paul was referring to this young man's condition after the healing or the miracle had taken place. This young man for sure was dead and was brought back to life. Well, remember, Simon Peter, he was also an apostle that was used to bring back someone's life. Remember Dorcas, he did this with with her as well. The application is this, to never count the work of the Lord out. There are times when we face serious tragedies and our faith tends to waver. Like, think about it, like the disciples on the boat, remember, in the storm. They feared for their lives. What made it even worse was that their master was Jesus Christ, was asleep, right? They were they were crying out, we're going to die. Don't you care about us? And then, you know, of course Jesus cared. But, you know, remember, he spoke one word and the seas calmed down. And <clears throat> at the sound of his voice, the elements, they submitted and obeyed. In, in this situation, at his command, this young man was brought back to life. We see the same thing, the same power working through the Apostle Paul. In your life and mine, at his command, our circumstances will change for the better. The irony is, many times the Lord will allow things to get down to the wire, right? Down to the bare bones of what's going on, down to the, the instant before he finally intervenes and a supernatural occurrence takes place to change our situation. All throughout scripture, we see these kind of occurrences happening. Uh, You think again about water and Paul in in the boat, right? Remember, it wasn't until when he left the boat, it wasn't until he was about fully submerged under the water before Jesus came and and, and picked him up and said, why do you have little faith? Why you could have walked on the water all the way to me. Um, You think of David and Goliath, right? All the people, the Israelites, right? They were tormented for a season by the Philistines. All these supposed strong soldiers of Israel, nobody dare fight Goliath. They were all scared. They were all shivering in their boots because of this giant. It came down to the wire with a boy and a slingshot. These are just two examples, but you see clearly in Scripture how things come down to the wire. The Lord allows these things to happen, but it's the growing of your faith through these difficult circumstances and how you can see the Lord's hand through it that you praise Him all the more. Lastly, we see here to close our message, we see that after this happened, they ate and continued on until the sun rose. Well, you talk about a long service, right? This was a long service. It lasted all night till the morning, till the sun rose. Nobody left, right? They were all greatly comforted and encouraged seeing the young man brought back to life. Any doubts that they would have had about Jesus Christ coming through in the clutch would have got dealt with that night when they saw this young man fall from three stories dead and to see the Lord use Paul to make this man rise again to have life again. This serves as an example for us to not doubt, but to trust wholeheartedly in the Lord's process and timing. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us this, without faith, It is impossible to please God, for whoever draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We also can stand to be a bit more patient when it comes to the message or the teaching that we sit under. You think about it, in light of a 45-minute message or even a 50-minute message, it's but a second in eternity. But that second in eternity is meant to edify your life and your souls for good. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again just for the timeliness of your word, Lord, as we're in this Christmas season and 
even with this pandemic, there can still be hustling and bustling, maybe not in department stores, but maybe on the internet searching for the right gift for people or trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. But Lord, give us this time to just be able to sit quietly and to hear from you, Lord, and to hear that still small voice speak to us, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would grant us more patience, Lord, and help us to trust in you that you're going to come through at the specific time, no matter what we think or what we can see. And Father, thank you for the significance of your supper, of communion, and how it should be taken and, and how it can be taken in a manner that's that's honoring you. And Father, we just thank you that uh, your word is just always in control and we can learn so much from you. So Father, we thank you and we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.